Hi, this is Sandy Simpson from Apologetics Coordination Team. Thank you for choosing one of our podcasts, and I hope that you enjoy it and it's a help to you. Today, uh, I'm continuing on in 2 Corinthians, and it's uh, we start in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Ooh, an important verse. You know, since we received such a great gift from God, then we need to prove the, that we have not believed that in, in that gift in vain. God heard our cries and he helped us even while we were yet sinners. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, there's no better time than now to be saved. I don't like these people who say, oh, you can be saved after, you know, when the millennium starts and all that. No, don't, don't take that. That's not what the Bible teaches. We don't know the day of Christ's return, and after he's returned, there's not going to be any more opportunity for salvation. Hebrews 9.27, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews 3.15, as, and as has been said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Today. If we truly remember that today is a day of salvation, this ought to make us bold in proclaiming the gospel, first to our families and friends and then to others. So it's, it's important. The gospel is so important. It's never stopped being important. <clears throat> Paul goes on to talk about his hardships in bringing the gospel. Verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited rather as servants of god we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance and troubles hardships and distresses in beatings imprisonments and riots in hard work sleepless nights and hunger in purity understanding patience and kindness in the holy spirit and in sincere love in truthful speech in the power of god with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and, and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Wow. We should, like Paul, not put stumbling blocks between people and their coming to Christ. We should also not put stumbling blocks between believers and their path to maturity in Christ. Paul reminds the Corinthians that what he has been doing for them, both in ministry to them directly in his letters and in his stand for the truth, that he is not putting stumbling blocks in their way, but rather doing what he does as a reconciler. He goes on to tell them the unvarnished facts. 
when we read about the apostles, what the apostles endured in order to tell people about the gift of eternal life through Christ, it ought to make us humble and inspire us through our hard times. I don't think our hard times can even come close to what was happening to Paul and the other apostles. But notice that all the bad things that happened to them did not decrease their character in the spirit. He says, understanding, patience, kindness, sincere love, truthful speech, and all in the power of God. Difficult times should not diminish our witness. These things ought to be what define us as believers rather than the hardships. But notice that all the good attributes of Paul came out because he had equipped himself with the armor of God, the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and on the left. Ephesians 6, 11 through 18 talks about the armor. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, by the way, we're in that now and approaching even worse, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrow, arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I'm very happy to know that many of you pray for one another in this group. You, you haven't forgotten that. And you know that prayer is very, very important. You know, the devil had a lot of schemes to try to ruin Paul's character and ministry. Don't fool yourself into thinking that after you become a believer, the devil cannot oppress you. <laughs> Satan can't fully possess a Christian, I don't believe. But apart from that, the devil makes all kinds of trouble for a believer from within and without. He can put thoughts in your mind. He can cause sickness. He can try to make you fear. He can bring about circumstances that make you almost despair, as did Paul. 2 Corinthians 1.8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. But, you know, when we go through very difficult circumstances and temptations, we need to put on the armor and depend on God to carry us through. We fully trust in the Lord to bring us through, not relying on our own intellectual or physical abilities, but on the grace of God. 
we rely on him. Quote, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. You know, we do everything for the glory of God, not relying on our own glory or our own good report or fame or health or riches. We do this because we know that when we are content in the Lord, he takes care of us. And we no longer have to struggle to make something of our lives by our own methods and abilities. This is absolute truth for the true born-again believer today. And by the way, it's a way you can tell the difference between a true believer and a false one. First Timothy 6.6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, we may have nothing, but in Christ, we have it all. Verse 11, we have spoken spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. You know, Paul had opened his heart to the Christians at Corinth, but some there had taken what he said with offense and closed their hearts to Paul. I think you'll find that's true often when you're witnessing to people. They're offended by the gospel. They're offended by you speaking the truth to them. If they can't handle the truth, they get offended. But you know, when the Corinthians did that, they also closed their hearts to the Lord. Because Paul was the Lord's appointed apostle to the Gentiles. Paul asked them as his children in the Lord, to open their hearts to him as he had for them. Uh, and he goes on with a very important uh, word. Verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do the righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Well, apparently part of the problem, and a big one in Corinth, was the fact that believers were continuing fellowship and in, in the practices of the heathen. This is, for instance, what caused the incest problem Paul addressed earlier. That kind of sexual perversion was par for the course in Corinth and had not entirely been thrown out of the church or out of the lives of the Christians there. 
And that's why Paul had to explain the difference between a believer and an unbeliever earlier in this chapter, in the previous chapter. Paul now can explain what must be done, keeping in mind the fact that we must put off the old self and put on the new. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, how do we do that? How do we put off the old self? <laughs> We're being taught to put on the self to these days. That's all you ever hear in our culture. It's all about self. Well, how do we put off the old self? One important way is to be yoked together, not to be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this isn't just talking about marriage, although that's important. It's also talking about having a deep fellowship with unbelievers and false teachers. Of course, there are situations where we have to mingle with unbelievers at work and in our communities. But we don't hang out with them and get involved with them in a united way. We will always be alienated from, from them by virtue of the fact that they are unregenerate. We may and should witness to them, but we must not follow them to influence us. We must not allow them to influence us toward the world since they're still in it. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. John 17, 16, they are not of the world. <clears throat> even as I am not of it. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people don't, you know that fellowship with the world is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Righteousness and wickedness have nothing in common. Light and darkness have nothing in common. Of course, God and Satan have nothing in common. Therefore, we need to have nothing in common with the world and those who are still in the world, still of the world. Believers have nothing in common with unbelievers. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not both human and even related, possibly. But it does mean that our spirit is heading in a different direction. The unbeliever is still living in unrepentant sin. The believer is no longer practicing sin, but practicing righteousness. A temple full of idols and the worship of the true God have nothing in common. Be sure not to be fooled by those who say we can go back to our old cultural ways and worship the true God. That's, that's impossible. That's because God must be worshipped in spirit, by way of the indwelling spirit, and in truth. You cannot worship God, who is truth, with a lie. John 4.24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The church as a whole and each individual Christian is a temple where God lives. He lives in us. Romans 8.11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, we must not and should not have fellowship with those whose body is a temple to themselves. And they're given over to serving their own wicked nature and even the devil. To come out of the world, we must come out from among them. That means sinful people. We must no longer hang out with them as we did before, but we need to be a witness to them. We must avoid the association we had with them before and demonstrate to them that we are a changed people who walk with the Lord. When we do that, God will walk with us and he will truly, we will truly be his sons and daughters. The issue of being separate from the world is more important today than ever. With the world encroaching on all of our activities every hour of our lives. We need to come out from among them and be a people wholly devoted to God. We need to devote ourselves to him, to the study of his word, and to the witness of his wonderful gospel to those who need to hear it. Hi, this is Sandy Simpson again. Thank you for listening to one of our podcasts. You can come to my website, Apologetic Coordination Team at DeceptionInTheChurch.com or go to our YouTube site called Act TV and check out our DVDs and books, etc. Thank you so much for checking us out.